Good morning, church family. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Back at the uh, beginning of the summer, my wife and I bought our very first home. As I'm sure most of you know, uh, buying a home in Johnson County is quite the experience. It's kind of like a cross between a foot race, a bidding war, and a never-ending marathon of the show Fixer Upper. It's quite intense, and we spent a month, we were looking at several homes and waiting for the right one, and for me, I was waiting for the right price. We had a list of things we were looking for, we had our budget, and we found our home the very first day it went on the market. We bought it within hours of looking at it. It was stressful. And then came the fun part, though, the money. A part that makes Dave Ramsey lose sleep at night. You have to sit down and meet with the lenders and you have to give them all your information, your bank statements, your credit, history, your firstborn child. And these people, they vet you. I mean, I think they know more about me than I know about me. They want to know everything they can about you before they hand over the money. Why do they do that? Well, they do that because they want to make sure that you're going to be faithful right? They want to make sure they're going to get their money in full the same time every month. And they send those reminders, don't they? They let me know when it's time to pay up. And if one month I just so happen to not want to pay, just not feeling it, what happens? They come take my stuff, right? They're betting on, they're counting on my faithfulness. But you know, faithfulness is not a very high value in our culture today. Our culture changes more, changes faster and more frequently than ever before. People change cars, brands, spouses, jobs, schools, cities routinely. This is why so many companies now offer loyalty programs or rewards programs. It's why uh, every so often I receive free nuggets through the Chick-fil-A app. <laughs> yeah, I'm very loyal to the Lord's Chicken, Okay. But this is, this is part of our consumer culture. If you don't like something, then you just go find something better. Right? It even happens in church. You don't like the music. You don't like the preaching. You don't like what they offer your children. We just go on to the next one down the road. And when we do hear of faithfulness, it's kind of unusual. We applaud people who have been married 50 years or worked at the same company for 50 years. We live in a culture that just isn't very faithful to faithfulness. It's often faithless. But when it comes to following Jesus, we know and understand that faithfulness is an essential part of the equation. That's why we call Jesus Savior and Lord. When we make the decision to surrender our lives to him, he is our Lord. He's our master, not just for the foreseeable future or while it's convenient, but it's a lifetime commitment. It's faithfulness to eternity. And that's what the book of 2 Timothy is all about. If you've been here with us over these last several weeks, we've been in this series called Focus on Faithfulness. And we've been walking through Paul's second letter to his protege, the young pastor, his son in the faith, Timothy. And Paul's encouraging Timothy to stay the course, to press on despite the difficulties that he's facing, to be faithful. And Paul, as we've seen, he's at the end of his ministry he recognizes that his, his days are all but numbered. He's his, doing his second stint in the Roman prison. Most all of his friends have abandoned him. And not long after writing this letter, 
He's put to death. So this, this letter is it's personal, it's raw, it's real, and it's a bold call for each of us to remain faithful to Christ. In our particular passage today, Paul details the difficulty that Timothy's facing, and he calls him to do one thing. And it's the point of the passage, it's the point of the message this morning, it's very simple. As followers of Jesus, we are called to remain faithful in faithless days. So let's read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, and we'll break it down. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. This morning, I want to give you two ways from this passage that we remain faithful in faithless days. Here's the first. We remain faithful by recognizing the times. Paul begins by telling Timothy, hey, understand this. Don't be naive here. There are going to be times of difficulty. As a follower of Jesus, things are going to be tough. And Paul uses these words, the last days. What does he mean? Is Paul talking about 65 AD when this letter was written? Is he talking about 2019 today? Is he talking about some future time period like the tribulation? Well, the answer is yes. All the above. One of the things we see in the New Testament is that the New Testament authors refer to the entire time period between Christ's first and second coming as the last days. So he's not talking specifically about what we might sometimes refer to as the end times. For Paul, he was living in the end times. And he anticipated the end times were going to last until Christ returned, as long as that might take. So we are in the last days. And so is Timothy. And Paul makes clear these last days are going to be difficult. Some Christians today have been falsely told that when they follow Jesus and they give him their life, everything's going to be easy. It's going to be happy all the time. You're going to want to pray all the time. You're not going to want to cuss anymore. And all the presets in your car suddenly tuned to K-Love. But you quickly discover that's not the case. In fact, Jesus told us that's not the case. He said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. In Matthew 22, he said, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. He said in Matthew 7, it's the wide way, the easy way that actually leads to hell. It's the narrow, difficult path that leads to life. And the first Christians understood this. They faced real persecution. They were mocked, imprisoned, beaten, and many put to death. And still today in countries like North Korea and Iran and China, it can cost you everything to follow Jesus. While we're not under those same threats in America today, Remaining faithful in a faithless world is 
still not easy, even for us. We should expect nothing less than suffering and persecution and trials. If that's not what you signed up for, then you're following the wrong guy. In verse 2 through 4, Paul gives us a list of qualities that people are going to possess in the faithless days. It's what we call a vice list. And Paul does this a couple times in his writings. I've now had to preach two of these in a row. And uh, I told you they were setting up the student guy. You didn't believe me in the summer. Um, but what is Paul doing here in this, this string of mean things? It's harshness. What is he describing? What's he doing? Well, he's describing on one hand, he's describing generally the things that all people are going to deal with. But he's also describing a particular group of people who are called false teachers. We know from Paul's pastoral letters that Timothy was battling and dealing with some kind of heresy. And we don't know all the details, but there were these false teachers in the church who were leading people astray. They were claiming Christ, but they were teaching a false gospel. And we're going to see that Paul is describing these bad guys. He's identifying them for Timothy. But at the same time, he's speaking to us. We know God's word is living and active. And if you have ever doubted if the Bible is relevant and speaks to our world in 2019, look at verses 2 through 4 again. This vice list all stems from one key problem that he kicks it off with. It's love of self. That's the root issue. It's, it's self-centeredness. Do you guys think we have that problem today, 2019? It's interesting that one of the dominant messages of our culture today is love yourself. I grew up in this generation where they told us from when we were in kindergarten, you can be anything you want to be when you grow up. You are special and unique. If you just love yourself and accept yourself and shoot for the moon, even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. <laughs> that was great. So what did we do? We created social media where we make profiles about me and post pictures of me so you can like me and then comment with a cute emoji how much you like me. And now we have a culture of people who are totally in love with themselves and yet more depressed than ever. They told us our biggest problem in life is low self-esteem. And I see this all the time. I read about my own struggles with mental health and it's this common theme in the pop psychology world. If people would just feel better about themselves and love themselves more and put themselves first, if they just had good self-esteem, then all the problems in our society would be fixed. They've actually done studies since those messages came out that have now proven that most people today don't struggle with low self-esteem. Most people struggle with high self-esteem. That's actually a bigger problem. One study even showed that people in prison tend to have a higher self-esteem than the general public. Let's be clear. Jesus has not called us to love ourselves, but to die to ourselves, to take up our crosses and follow him no matter the cost. You cannot be faithful to Jesus if you love yourself more than him. This vice produces lots of others. Does that mean then that we should hate ourselves or even harm ourselves? Well, no, that's not what Jesus commanded. But it's more like this, as C.S. Lewis said. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Love of self leads to two other what we might call misdirected loves. They are love of money 
and love of pleasure. And I think it's safe to say we see that in our culture as well. So these false teachers, they had three misdirected loves, love of self, love of money, and love of pleasure. And we need to be aware these are the same three temptations that we face today, even as Christians. And the only way to combat a misdirected love is with a properly directed love. It's by loving God more. Then we see in this vice list, we see corrupt relationships, abuse, disobedience to parents, slander, ungratefulness, arrogance. Rather than loving people, it's using people for your own gain. So this this list is basically a summary of what happens when we reject the great commandments that Jesus gave us to love God and love people. Misdirected loves and corrupted relationships, it's a life wrecked by sin, a life all of us would experience apart from Christ's saving grace. Things get even more interesting in in verse 5. Paul says these people have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. These people Paul is speaking of, get this, they're religious. It's getting kind of close to home. They look godly on the outside. They dress up real nice. They say the right words. They're in church on Sunday, but they're not godly on the inside. They're fakes, frauds, hypocrites. And this is something we see condemned throughout the Bible. Jesus even saved his harshest words for the chief hypocrites of the day, the Pharisees. He was constantly calling out their fakeness. We need to be honest. This is something we struggle with too. I'm I'm speaking for me. Like I know personally all too well how easy it is to to come to church on Sunday with my nice clothes I ironed the night before. I tried. Put on my nice smile, say the nice things that I'm supposed to say and cover up all my sin and my problems. We talk about this in student ministry a lot. We know students struggle to live the same way at school as they do at church. But this is not just a student problem, is it? We have to guard ourselves from hypocrisy. So so what is Paul doing here with this list? Is he just beating up on the world? Is he trying to make us feel bad? Well, no. Remember, he's calling us to recognize the times. Just as Timothy needed to be aware of the false teachers in his day, we need to be aware of our cultural moment. We need to know what our neighbors are struggling with. We need to know what our lies our kids are hearing. We need to know what the world is hurting from. Because we cannot be faithful to Jesus and reach people for Jesus if we don't understand what's going on. As Christians, so often I think we're tempted to to look at how bad the world is and just run away and hide. We build our Christian bubbles and we never leave except to shake our finger every once in a while. We're called to engage. That's why we have that word in our shine habit declaration. I love that word engage. It's the opposite of hiding. We are called to engage the cultures around us, not fear them. So we recognize the times so we can faithfully shine, but we also need to recognize the times to guard ourselves. We're not immune to this list. We're not immune to Satan's temptations. This is not new stuff that we see in the world today. It's been going on a long time. And yet we still face these struggles, so we need to recognize the times. That's first. And second and last, we remain faithful by responding with truth. Paul finishes verse 5 by telling Timothy, avoid such people. Does Paul mean that we shouldn't have anything to do with unbelievers? Well, no. That would contradict the Great Commission, which calls us to go and make disciples of all nations. So what is he saying? Well, Paul is talking here about false teachers, 
People who are claiming Jesus but are intentionally trying to deceive others with a false gospel. And we still see this very same challenge in the church today. That's why we need to be guarded about the Christian content we consume. From the sermons we listen to, to the books we read, to the preachers we watch on the internet or TV. I was uh, down on the plaza recently. Plaza, plaza. Plaza, plaza. I was in Barnes and Noble down there, and uh, I went to look at the section that was labeled Christian. And there were some great books there. There were some really good books, and there were some really not good books. Um, at a lot of bookstores, what happens is they kind of mix in the self-help and the Christian. It's all kind of spiritual stuff together. It's a lot of how to get rich and how to get healthy and how to become a better you. And we need to recognize that's not content rooted in the gospel. Self-help is actually the opposite of the gospel. The gospel says, I cannot help myself. I cannot become a better me. That's why I need Jesus. So we need to be cautious with the things that we consume. Just because a book is labeled Christian doesn't mean it is. Just because a movie is marketed as Christian and maybe features a cameo from your favorite Christian celebrity, doesn't mean it is. And just because someone is called a Christian pastor does not mean they preach Christ and his word. We need to avoid those who use the name of Jesus to deceive and cling to the truth of God's word. These particular false teachers in Timothy's day were doing something especially sinister. Paul says they were creeping into households and capturing weak women. What in the world does that mean? Is Paul saying that women are weak? Is he insulting and demeaning women as sometimes people accuse Scripture of doing? Well, no, he's not speaking generally of all women. In fact, when the Bible does speak generally of all women, it always speaks of women as being equal to men in value and in worth. The Bible was actually quite radical and empowering for women in the context it was written in the first century world, women were viewed as second-class citizens. They were treated more like possessions for men. So, so what does Paul mean when he says weak women? Well, Paul is speaking here of a particular group of women in Timothy's local context who were spiritually and morally weakened and compromised. They were being preyed on and victimized by these false teachers and we don't know exactly how this was happening, but it seems that these false teachers were specifically targeting women and taking advantage of them because of their vulnerability in the first century. These women were confined to their homes most of the day. They, they were, their husbands were away, out working or doing business. Verse 6 also tells us these women were burdened with sins. They were led astray by various passions. So this left them in a vulnerable position for these men to creep into their homes and persuade them of their false gospel. And I think what we really see here is spiritual abuse. And we know this is not unique to the early church. In fact, one of the saddest parts of looking back through church history is seeing all the ways that men have always in the church used Christian teachings and even scripture to manipulate coerce and abuse the vulnerable among us. They teach a false gospel and they use it to hurt. Our culture has just now over the last few years began to see how devastating and pervasive the problem of abuse has been in our society. 
We've seen it in sports and politics and Hollywood and schools and even in churches. We've most recently seen it in the Southern Baptist Convention. It was just earlier this year, the Houston Chronicle published a report detailing over 700 victims in the last 20 years in SBC churches alone. Some of our staff, including myself, we got a chance to travel to Dallas a few weeks ago to a conference on sexual abuse and from, that was put on by the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the SBC. And we heard story after story from victims. It was heartbreaking. But one of the common themes we heard from these victims that shocked me was how these predators used the message of the Bible to justify, manipulate, and abuse their victims. They used a false gospel to creep in and capture the vulnerable. I don't know if there could be a greater evil than that. And we can say with certainty today, God hates abuse of every kind. And we as believers need to be aware. We can't just cover our eyes with this stuff. We have to be proactive in guarding the vulnerable among us. And I am so grateful to be a part of a church where our elders and staff realized over a year ago that we could start to begin to do more in protecting our Blue Valley community. We've taken some great steps, and that is something to be grateful for. But it's not a cause to rest. We have to continue to be vigilant and proactive, and it takes all of us, all of us. We need your help. We need your voice, particularly if you have been a victim of abuse yourself. Statistically, I had no idea how prevalent this was. Statistics tell us that one in three women and one in five men have experienced abuse in their lifetime. Did you know in a church our size, that means somewhere around 150 people may sit in our pews every week as victims of abuse? If that's you, we have so much to learn from you. Your story matters. And we want to be a safe place for you to heal and help others find the strength that you found. Guys, this is why it's so important that we know the truth and guard the truth. It's not because we're just a bunch of brainwashed Bible thumpers. It's not because we're just old-fashioned and we can't catch up to the times. It's because the souls of men and women and children hang in the balance. People's lives are at stake. Eternity is at stake. The next generation is at stake. These are not just words on a page. Not just good advice. This is truth that affects people's very souls. The only way to remain faithful is to remain faithful to the truth revealed in God's word. No matter how dumb and out of touch we might look, no matter how much the world laughs at us and mocks us, no matter how much your coworkers and friends and family might think you're crazy, Jesus said in John 8, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we remain faithful by responding with the truth. Paul ends this section Thankfully, by giving us a little hope after all that, he compares these false teachers to two men who opposed Moses in the Old Testament. Their names are Janus and Jambres. Just sound terrible. Jewish tradition tells us that these were Pharaoh's two lead magicians. If you remember the story in Exodus 7, Moses and Aaron are called by God to go to Pharaoh and give those famous words, let my people go. 
And God gives them some signs and some miracles to perform to validate their calling. They have a staff. They throw it on the ground. It becomes a snake. I would have freaked out right there. (laughs) But guess what? Janice and Jambres, they take their staff. They throw it. It becomes a snake. Then come the plagues. Moses and Aaron uh, turn the water in the Nile into blood. But guess what? Janice and Jambres can also turn water into blood. And they go back and forth like this. It's kind of like this, this battle until eventually Janice and Jambres couldn't keep up. They couldn't replicate all the signs and, and plagues like Moses and Aaron. And it became evident to Pharaoh and all the people who was real and who was fake. Paul ends by saying this. Just like Janice and Jambres, people will see who these false teachers really are. God will take care of these people, Timothy. They won't get very far. That's pretty harsh, but it's something we see throughout Scripture. Because of God's holiness and goodness, he is going to deal with evil. He dealt the first blow to evil on the cross when he sent his son Jesus to die in the place of sinners like me. And then on the third day when he raised him from the dead, that secured the victory. It's in the bag. But we know the next time Jesus comes, he will not return as a baby in a manger. He will return as a victorious judge. He will fully and finally deal with evil. He will eliminate sin and all its effects. There will be no more death or pain or sin or evil. And that is our hope. So while we know that God is withholding some of his judgment right now, he's allowing some evil in the world so people can turn to him. He's being patient. We also know it won't get very far. Like the sheriff in an old Western movie, evil can run, but it can't hide. Or for my generation, it's like a Liam Neeson movie. I don't know if you remember his famous line in the movie Taken. You seen it? He has that famous line. He says it so calmly into the phone to the guy who kidnapped his daughter. I think it's probably the only time it'd be okay to say this. And he says, I will look for you. I will find you and I will kill you. (laughs) Terrible impersonation. Um, But spoiler alert, spoiler alert, he finds him, and they don't play checkers. It's, it's, It's not good. But evil will not get very far because we cannot outrun the judgment of God. And that's good news until we realize that the very evil that God will judge includes you and me as well. The evil isn't just out there. It's in here too. We are also sinners. We have also rebelled against the holy God, and we also deserve his judgment. And what do we do? We try to run, and we can't outrun God. Maybe you are here today, and you've spent your entire life running from God. You've tried all the things to make you fulfilled and happy, a career, a relationship, stuff, a substance. But you know running from God, it just leaves you more and more empty. Here's the good news. The Bible says no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, if you will just stop running from God and surrender and run to him, you will be saved. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. When we give up our sin and we trust to God, turn to God and trust in Jesus, we find that what Jesus did at the cross And at the grave is enough. It's enough. He did everything we need to be saved. All we need to do is run to him. It's finished. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this gospel is our hope as well. 
We've got to cling to it with everything we've got. That's how we stay faithful. Yes, we live in faithless days, but these days are short. They cannot compare to the glory that will be revealed when Christ returns. Sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So we remain faithful knowing evil won't get very far. Death won't get very far. Cancer and sickness won't get very far. Abuse won't get very far. Depression and anxiety won't get very far. Broken marriages and broken families and broken bodies won't get very far. There is hope because Jesus still saves. He still fixes things. And those he saves, he keeps safe and secure until the day he returns and he saves fully and finally forever. So friends, we remain hopeful. We remain faithful in faithless days. Ultimately, by resting our hope and the only hope we have, it's Jesus Christ. Would you all bow with me as we pray?